Well, what's good, church family and friends? I pray you're all doing well this morning. Hey, I am so glad to gather with the body this morning, although virtually, what a joy it is to gather to uh, pray and praise God and uh, to hear his word preached. Um, and so I'm excited to, to dive in the, the last uh, chapter of our four-week series through the book of Jonah called The Gospel According to Jonah. And so that's where we're going to be this morning. So go ahead and turn to Jonah chapter 4, and that's where we're going to be in our time. And so I'm excited to dive in. And so as you're turning there, let me offer a word of prayer for us. Let's pray together. Father, we, we do thank you uh, once again for this morning. We do thank you um, for this privilege to gather uh, as your people around your word. God, I pray that you would bless it and that you would be glorified in all that's said. Uh, may you increase and may I decrease and may you get the glory out of everything. God, would you, would you do that? Would you be magnified? Would you use uh, your word uh, in only the ways that you can use it? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all, so Jonah chapter 4. Verses 1 through 11 reads as follows. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in the night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. So have you ever been angry with God because you couldn't have things your way? As a believer, have you ever found yourself angry with God? Have you? Well, this is the place where we find Jonah in chapter 4. And if you're taking notes this morning, here's the main idea of our passage. It's this. We at times get angry with God for being God, yet he is still merciful to us. 
Once again, we at times get angry with God for being God, yet he is still merciful to us, to me, to you. And we'll see that teased out in the passage this morning. And to help guide our time, I just have two points for us this morning. So here they are. Point number one, we get angry at God for being God. So we'll see that from verses one through three. Once again, we get angry at God for being God. Point number two, yet in our anger, God still offers us mercy. And we'll see that from verses 4 through 11. Once again, point number two, yet in our anger, God still offers us mercy. So point number one, we get angry at God for being God. Look back with me at verse one. It says this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. So so notice that it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and the it is why he's so angry. So, so what is the it? What is the it referring to? Well, if you remember from our time last week in Jonah chapter 3, God grants the Ninevites repentance, and he relents from destroying them because of their repentance. So once again, God grants the Ninevites repentance, and he relents from destroying them because of their repentance. And so Jonah is displeased, which means he's annoyed with God. And not only that, he thinks that God has done some type of evil by granting the Ninevites repentance and for showing them mercy. And he's angry about that. Jonah is big mad about that. He's sitting tight right now because of what God has done. Now, what Jonah seemed to have forgotten is that the same God that he's displeased with and angry with for showing others mercy is the same God that showed him mercy. Jonah's anger here is an unrighteous anger, not a righteous anger. Righteous anger is an anger that God has towards anyone and anything that's unrighteous. We see this all throughout the pages of Scripture. And just to remind us of the example here in this book, God's anger was about to be on display against the Ninevites because of their evil that has come up before God. And we see that back in chapter 1, verse 2. But they turned, which means they repented from their evil way, and God did not carry out his wrath. And this is where Jonah finds himself angry, except his anger is not righteous. It's unrighteous, and it is sinful. He continues in his anger and prays to God. So look back with me at verse 2, and it reads this. It says, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So notice that this prayer is different from the one that we saw in chapter 2. He went from more of a repentant prayer in chapter 2 of Jonah to a ridiculing of God. 
from more of a dependency upon God to disrespect. Notice that it also says, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? Implying that Jonah mentioned this sometime before going to Nineveh. He shared his complaint to God before going to Nineveh. Notice that it also says, my country. Now, I, I won't stay here too long. This could be a whole sermon for another time. But I do find this question very interesting. It seems to me that Jonah might be showing some signs of racism or privilege, if you will. You got to remember, Jonah tried his hardest to not go to Nineveh. And in particular, he didn't want the Ninevites to experience the same mercy that he had received from God. Jonah is an Israelite. The Ninevites were Gentiles. Could it be that Jonah thought that God's mercy was only for him and his people and not for others? Could it be that Jonah thought that? So, so this thinking is simple and has major consequences. As black people, we are still living in a society that struggles to see us as image bearers. So the, the lies of racism scream that we don't all have the same dignity, purpose, and worth, when the truth is we all do. And we are all in desperate need of God's grace and mercy. Everyone is. We're, we're all on the same level plane. We are all image bearers, created in God's image after his likeness with the same dignity and purpose and worth we all are. And we are all in desperate need of saving from God. Here's how Pastor Tony Carter comments on Jonah's racism. He says this, in other words, he resented God for being God. He hated God's merciful and forgiving character when that mercy and forgiveness were aimed at his enemies. He resented God because God's grace to the Ninevites meant that meant the Ninevites were no different from Jonah and the Israelites. He thought he and his people were better than the Ninevites, more deserving of God's grace. Jonah's sin was obvious. He was guilty of ethnocentrism. There was a racism and an elitism in his heart. In fact, Jonah's actions illustrated the insanity of racism. So racism cannot be tolerated. This is something that we, uh, that should not be named among us in the church. And, and if it is something that is within our church, we need to repent of that, beloved. We need to repent of that. That is an onslaught of, of, of God's character. And we cannot tolerate that in our church or in any church. We shouldn't. It's not pleasing to God. So continuing to, to walk through the passage, look at the reason Jonah gives for running away. He runs away because he knew God would be God. Look back with me at verse 2, starting at that is why. It says, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, 
and relenting from disaster. You see that? Jonah ran because he knew God would be God and he's angry about that. We have already concluded that Jonah knew God. Remember, he's a prophet and he tells us that he fears the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land back in chapter one, verse nine. And so he knew God's character. He knew God to be who he is, just like Moses did in Exodus 34, 5 through 9, the passage that we read earlier in the service. He knew God to be gracious, which means he's good. That he's merciful, which means he doesn't give us what we deserve. That he's slow to anger, which means that he's patient. And that he's abounding in steadfast love, which means that his love is plentiful and faithful, is loyal, and that he's relenting from disaster, which as we saw last week, when the Ninevites repented, God relented. He showed them mercy in sparing their lives. Jonah knew this to be true of God, and he wanted to experience God in this way, but he didn't want the Ninevites to. Now, before we are tempted to think that this is only Jonah, uh, we have to remember, as I said in the first sermon of the series, we all have the Jonah syndrome. We are all more like Jonah at times more than we would like to think or even imagine. I mean, here's some questions in the form of application to this. Do you, do I, pray regularly that God will show mercy in saving the wicked. Do we, do, we, do we pray that regularly? Do we pray that God will be merciful in saving the wicked? Do, do you, do, do I pray for the wicked, especially after being a recipient of that wickedness? Do we, do we pray when we are the recipients of a particular wicked act? Do, do, we, do we pray, especially then? Do you, do you pray, do I pray uh, for any enemies just as much as we, we pray for our friends? Do you pray for your enemies? I believe we should pray. Jesus says we should. Look at Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. And it reads this, it says, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy." But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So did you see that? Like, we are to, to pray for the wicked. We are to, to pray for, for, for enemies. We are to pray for them. May it be said of us as a church that we we pray that God would show mercy to those who 
have uh, done wicked things. May we, may, we, may we show even the more mercy to them because God can and God will if they repent and if they turn and trust him. So may we be like God in that. May we extend mercy. May we pray for mercy. And so as a result of Jonah trying to be stingy with mercy that ain't even his in the first place, he feels that it would be best to die. Look back with me at verse 3. It says this, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Do you see that? Isn't that crazy? Jonah can't seem to accept God's mercy is being extended beyond him and his people. But he has no choice but to get over it. This is who God is. And praise God, praise God that he is this way. Praise God. Which then leads to our second and final point this morning. Yet in our anger, God still offers us mercy. Praise God that he is a merciful God. So this is point number two. Yet in our anger, God still offers us mercy. Look back with me at verse four. It reads this. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? God's question to Jonah is wrapped in mercy. Jonah seemed to think he was justified in his anger. God's, God's question to him is meant for, for Jonah to look inwardly. That's what the question is meant to do. Is, it's, it's meant for him to, to look inwardly. We have to remember that God could very well crush Jonah if he so chose to. Uh, I mean, we saw that in the last three chapters that I mean, God is sovereign over creation. He can do whatever he pleases. He could have very well crushed Jonah. And he could crush us in our anger against him. But instead, he lovingly corrects Jonah and us with a question such as this. Amen? What mercy, what grace it is that, that God would, would lovingly correct us with a question to get us back on track, to get us thinking, to get, a, to get our hearts set right, right on him. Listen to how Brian Estelle puts it. He says this, God begins to teach Jonah by asking him questions. Question asking is often the manner of divine pedagogy, which means teaching. Think of the Garden of Eden and the questions put to Adam and Eve. Where are you? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? What is this that you have done? from Genesis 3, 9-13. In the book of Job, God checks his servant's attitude by means of questions. Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. From Job 38, 2-3. He continues to say, but, God, but God's question in verse 8 probes deeper still to show the real profundity of Jonah's problem. It shows the root of Jonah's sin. So as we continue on in verse 5, Jonah goes outside the city and sits down. He makes a booth for himself there and sits in the shade. 
Jonah then got real comfortable in his sin, right? Notice at the end of verse 5, Jonah is still holding out hope that God might still pour out his wrath on the Ninevites, that he might still pour out his judgment on Nineveh. Look at the end of verse 5 with me. It says, he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Did you see that? That Jonah is still caught in his feelings, still wanting to see. Uh, he didn't get what he wanted, right? Still wanting to see that played out. Still wanting God to, to judge the Ninevites. But the Lord shows continued mercy uh, to Jonah in verse 6. The Lord mercifully provides for Jonah just like he did in chapter 2 with the great fish. Except this time, God appoints a plant. Look at verse 6 with me. It says, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So it, it was hot where Jonah was sitting, and his little comfort that he was trying to provide for himself wasn't enough. God provides the shade that he needs. God provides the ultimate comfort that he needs. But what does Jonah do? Jonah pouts, but God provides. Jonah pouts, but God provides. Isn't this true of us, Christians? We pout at times, yet God is still merciful to provide for us, for you, for me. And when he does, we are just like Jonah, exceedingly glad because of the plant or because of his provision. But, but sadly, sometimes we are more glad because of the provision than we are the provider. Sadly, we are oftentimes, sometimes, more glad because of the provision than the provider. How do we know when we're more happy about the provision than we are the provider? Well, when that provision or whatever it is that brought us joy is taken away, we complain. Whatever it is, whatever was, was given to us, whatever was provided to us, and we found happiness in it, joy in it, when it's taken away, what do, what do we do? Like Jonah, we complain. And this is exactly what Jonah did. Look back with me at verses 7 through 8. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. <laughs> Notice that God appointed a worm to eat the plant. He appointed a scorching east wind and the sun was beating down on Jonah's head to the point that he was, was fainting. Now, look at Jonah's response in the end of verse 8 once again. What does it say? 
And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Do you see what is happening here? God in his mercy towards Jonah is exposing a heart issue. He's exposing his heart issue. I like the way Pastor Tony Carter puts it. He says, unfortunately, Jonah found his gladness in the comfort rather than the comforter. This is crucial to understand. Jonah was glad for the plant, but he wasn't willing to acknowledge the planter. He continues to say, but the plant should not have been Jonah's source of joy. He should have been glad in the planter. Jonah was exceedingly glad and rejoiced in the plant because like us, he was prone to be more thankful for the blessing than the blessing giver. Isn't that true sometimes? Sometimes we are, we are more thankful for, for whatever the blessings are that we don't even acknowledge the blessing giver. Oh, far be it from us that we would be more happy with whatever the blessings are than the blessing giver. May our joy and our satisfaction, Christians, this morning, be always found in Christ, in God, because that's where true joy is found. So may we always seek him first. So in verse 9, God asked the same question in verse 4, except this time he was targeting Jonah's anger towards the plant. Look at verse 9 with me again. It says, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, this is Jonah's response, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. So Jonah continues to think his anger is justified or that it's okay for him to be angry. And what does God do? God sons him. <laughs> he sons him in verses 10 through 11. In other words, he lets him know that his anger as a whole is just silly and self-centered. This whole time Jonah, uh, in his anger, has been thinking about himself, his salvation, his comforts, and how he wants to be in control. God tells him to think otherwise. Listen to verses 10 through 11 again. And it says this, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Did you see that? Did you catch that? So, so, so what's the point I'm trying to make in all of this? What, what is the point? Well, it's, it's this. God wanted his mercy to be made known to Jonah, the Israelites, and Nineveh. He wanted his mercy to be made known to, to Jonah, to, to Israel, and to Nineveh. He was concerned for Jonah and the Israelites, but he was also concerned for the Ninevites. God wanted to make his salvation known to the Ninevites and ultimately to the nations. 
So is that your concern this morning, Christian? Do you, like God, want to see folks saved by his grace across the street and around the globe? God is up to something big. He's a big God and he's always up to something big. And what is that? He is saving a people among our neighbors into the nations. That's what he's been doing. That's what he's up to. That should bring you joy this morning, Christian. That should bring us all joy and excitement to know that God is about saving a people, a people from, from all nations. And guess what? Guess what? He invites you and I to be a part of that work. He invites us to be a part of that work. Isn't that amazing? You remember in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where the Lord Jesus commissions the disciples? This is what he says in Matthew 28, starting at verse 18. He says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Isn't this amazing? That the work that God is doing in saving a people for himself, he invites us as Christians to be a part of that work in making disciples, in seeking to proclaim his good news on the block, around the globe, for his glory. Hallelujah. And if you're not a Christian this morning, and you're, you're listening in, I praise God that you're here. I don't think it's by chance that you're, you're listening in. You know how you fit in that? God desires to save you. God desires to, to save you. He desires that you be a part of that nation, that you be a part of the people that he is saving. And you might ask, well, how... How could he do that? How might he do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Well, the, the Bible says that you are a sinner and that you have sinned against God, that you have broken all of his commands. The Bible says that if you break one commandment, you're guilty of all 10 of them. So if, you, if you've lied, you, you, you're guilty of all 10 of the commandments, James 2.10. But the, the mercy and the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is that Jesus comes, who is God, and he keeps the commands for you in your place, perfect, uh, without fault, without blemish, perfectly abiding by God's commands. He keeps the commands for you in your place. And guess what else that, that he does? Guess what else he does? He goes to the cross for your sin and for my sin. And he dies. He dies a criminal death. A death that he didn't deserve. 
that you and I deserve because of our sin that put him there. He dies and he lays in a grave for three days and on the third day he is resurrected. And his resurrection is proof that God accepted the, the sacrifice. He resurrects and offers life, eternal life, to all, to you, if you would repent. If you would repent, just like the Ninevites, if you would repent and turn away, that's what that word means. It's just a fancy word that means to turn away, to turn away from the things that God hates. He hates your sin. He hates my sin. He wants us to turn away from sin and turn to him in faith, in belief, in trust solely in him and in what he has done for you in sending his son Jesus to die in your place, to live and to die in your place and to rise for you. So I want to I want to invite you to get in on that this morning. This is how you fit in. You this is how you get in on that by trusting Jesus for salvation. And I pray that you would do that this morning. Don't delay. God's mercy is for you now. It's for you now. So this is the gospel. This is the good news. And in, in, in what it's leading to, here it gets better. The story gets even better. What it's leading to, y'all, is that we'll all be in unison, worshiping God forever and ever and ever. Remember Revelation 5? So Revelation 5, verses 9 through 10 and 12 through 14, it reads this. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Verse 12, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Let's pray again. Father, thank you for what you are up to in saving a people for yourself a people from, from every tribe, every language, uh, every nation. Thank you, God. I pray that as Christians, that this would bring us excitement, that this would bring us joy, that you even invite us to be a part of this uh, so that we might be faithful in spreading your message all over the world. And I pray for, for non-believers. I pray that this would attract them, that your mercy, that your goodness, your desire to save them would attract them to you, that ultimately, Jesus, 
would be known to them. And I pray um, for those who may be listening in that may not know you, God, that, that they might come to know you for the first time this morning. Oh God, please extend mercy to them. Please help them to not um, delay any longer. Mercy is Mercy is, is, is now. Mercy is for them now. You, you desire to show them mercy now. So please grant that. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name.